Okay, welcome to episode 76 of the United Pubcast, and I think the number 76 is quite fitting because of those keeping score at home, like yourself, Larry, potentially the 76th attempt at recording. Um, <laughs> how are you dealing with the um, bit of a fitness session we've done here on the technical issues? Oh, mate, look, I'm ready to become an IT engineer after what we've enjoyed over the last 24 hours, but great to be here again. How are you doing? I am getting there. I'm keeping my frustration levels nice and calm and not letting get it to me at all. So, um, again, no real football to discuss, but we'll do our best to discuss the latest news. And a lot of the news isn't actually to do with United. It is the other United, Newcastle United. It is right in the middle of the news at the moment because, obviously, Saudi Arabia, or we'll get into who exactly... Um, who was very heavily rumoured to um, look to be taken over from the Glazers at United, have chosen um, the wrong United and have gone to Newcastle. Uh, maybe they've seen, um, remember the movie Goal? Maybe they've taken some inspiration from that film. Um, but we're going to talk about Newcastle's takeover or the potential takeover, what it means for Newcastle, what it means for the Premier League and sort of more importantly United. Um, sort of how Chelsea and City, did they, how they dealt with their takeovers, etc. We'll look at sort of how they went about things um, and obviously look at the current situation, which looks like we will be stuck with the Glazers at the moment. So um, we'll start with Newcastle. Um, first of all, who actually is buying them? Because you hear all these figures. You hear $260 billion is what this guy's worth. But if you look at it, it's probably his family is worth that. Um, the whole family is not buying the club. Um, so an individual or sort of a consortium of individuals. So what do you know of the... the um, what's his name? He's the prince of Saudi Arabia or the president or something? <laughs> um, King Mohammed bin Salman. Um, so I don't know the hierarchy structure of royal families. Mate, you'll have to forgive me. But um, basically, he is the purchaser of uh, Newcastle United worth a reportedly approximate $17 billion. Now, that is quite eye-watering cash. I don't think you and I will ever see anything like that. However, it is less than Sheikh Mansour, owner of Manchester City, who is worth approximately $23 million, uh, $23 trillion, sorry. $23 trillion. Calm down. Billion, third time billion. right. However, um, the Saudi family as a whole is worth a lot more than Sheikh Mansour. Granted, it doesn't sell papers to label uh, Mr. Bin Salman um, as less than Sheikh Mansour, so you have to report the whole family. If I'm going to tell you how much I'm worth, I'm not worth much more than the biscuits and cheese in your fridge, Tom. However, if you put every single person with my last name in the world together, I'm sure I'm going to look a lot better. So I understand why the media is doing it. Well, I don't know when the last time you looked in my fridge, but there is definitely no cheese and biscuits. I'll, def I'll have to go and have a look because um, that is news to me because I could do with a snack. So um, thanks for the heads up. But um, a little bit on Newcastle because they're one of these clubs which I've spoken to, to you about in the past as well. Everyone says Newcastle, all big club Newcastle, but I don't think anyone almost really believes it. There's a... I think it stems again from that movie Goal when he was going over to trial and they said, where are you going to trial? I'm going to Newcastle United. And they said, oh, big club Newcastle. But it's just what everyone says because everyone else says it. I'm just thinking where sort of you rank Newcastle in regards to sort of the history of the Premier League, where they sort of currently sit as a club, as a fan base, etc. Because they're a, they're a weird bunch, Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I think... 
they're not a big club in the traditional sense. I feel like that term is thrown around quite loosely, quite easily, particularly in modern days. Um, you know, it's human nature. We like to exaggerate everything, but they are a well-known club and for me have always had the potential to be what we now know as the big six. Um, a sleeping giant's probably a step too far in terms of describing Newcastle, but if you just look at the period through the 90s, they obviously challenged United on numerous occasions for the title. Um, they've had some good players there, but then it all just kind of dipped off. And that's why I say under Mike Ashley, because just the nature of the owner is obviously he's not really been too interested in investing in the club, rather to take money out. And it's funny when you put it against the Glazers, which I'm sure we'll go into, but um, look, they're, they're not a huge club by traditional standards, but do they have the potential to be with this new ownership? No doubt in my mind. Well, where do you think they're? Because obviously, and we'll get into how Chelsea and City did it in the past. And when we spoke to Simon Hill, he had a really good, very good insight into sort of the financial fair play rules and how clubs get around and sort of the reason it's been implemented, etc. But everyone sort of does have to take a step back. Newcastle aren't coming in this season and buying Ronaldo, Messi and Mbappe, and they're not going to challenge for the title next season. A lot of the rules sort of does stop that happening. Now, the financial fair play rules might somewhat be relaxed um, over the next couple of years due to this coronavirus. I think they'll sort of welcome sort of heavy investment. So um, Newcastle definitely might sort of show real signs of improvement, but I don't think we can look at them, okay, they're going to challenge Liverpool and City next year. I don't think that's the case. However, what do you see them doing next season? In terms, say it goes through. It's obviously not, not been confirmed yet at the moment. Steve Bruce is there. Um, there's been talk of Pochettino, but until it's signed off, we, uh, sort of, they're going to be the same club until that Mike Ashley's still got the hold of them. But where do you see them doing next year? Do you think they can sort of make that next step and let's say challenge sort of in and around the Wolves, Everton, now technically Sheffield United are in and around there? Or do you think it, with the sort of new implemented um, FFP rules, it might take them five, six years to sort of get to, get to grips with everything? I don't think you'll see the impacts of this new ownership model for at least three years. Um, I only say that because if this ownership is about to go through, which if you believe reports is imminent, um, assuming all is approved and does go through, You'd have to think the planning for next season has already been finalised. I just can't see them getting in the sort of names or getting the planning around a new budgeting or the new way of working so quickly. I mean, realistically, even if we kept things, uh, you know, to the traditional calendar, season kicking off in August, now that may not be the case, but should it be, um, I just can't see them getting, you know, top signings in in that time. Maybe one, maybe at a stretch two. But again, what you've said, financial fair play, that is going to, it's going to, it's going to change things up. Um, you even saw with Manchester City, I believe they were purchased in 2008 from memory, but they really didn't start challenging at the top till 2010. It took a little bit, but City were further along and I feel Newcastle need to make a, perhaps a big signing just to start to start getting the eyes on that club. Was the first signing uh, Robinho from Manchester City? He was definitely Can... the first name. Um, I think they signed him on deadline day from memory. I forget. He was definitely the first big name. Um, yeah. For the statement sign. I forget if it was the first one That's... or not. 
that's the one. I think they need a Robinho signing. Um, once they do that, then things can start to improve. But like you say, Tom, we just don't know. I mean, we just how is financial fair play gonna? excuse me, uh, play a part in all of this. I think they will relax the rules. There's a lot coming out about what's happening in League 2, League 1, those clubs that threat. They will, the Premier League being, they will welcome big investors and that's going to come at a cost. That means potentially they could throw money around. Now, if that happens, we could be talking about, forget Wolves, maybe they climb up quicker than that. Maybe they start challenging for top four within the next two years. It's very possible. Well, what do you think before sort of, as you say, the money side of things and the sort of what they're going to do. What impact do you think? Because obviously Manchester, okay, as a city, people have their opinions of it as a city, but in terms of a football city, is a big city. And now obviously United have played a huge role in that. They sort of make up 99% of the football market in Manchester, but it had a name as a football city. London is arguably one of the sort of most popular cities in the world to live in, so that's always an attractive for a player to um, sort of a motive for a player to move to a London club. So you had London and Manchester, players were always going to be attracted to those two cities for, for whatever reason. Now, players are obviously attracted by money. Money will bring a player wherever. You've seen that with players going to play in Qatar and China, etc. But do you think Newcastle, it is so far away from everywhere else in England, do you think that'll play a part in a player's decision-making and sort of where they are located and sort of... I would say the demographic of Newcastle, but um, just sort of compare, comparing it to London and Manchester, it is so far away. Do you think that'll impact a player's decision or it's just another case of money talks? It's an interesting one. I think Newcastle in itself is a... It, it is obviously a well-developed city. There are things to do there. But to your point, it's not a huge city compared to Manchester and London. In my opinion, they're the two most developed cities in England. Um, being been there myself, being in both cities, it's a hard one. But in saying that, like you said, money talks and these guys will not have a cash shortage. Now, the other thing to consider in all of this, we're hearing of clubs, you know, introducing pay cuts, uh, wages may be reduced for some clubs. How does this change that? Because the power that, that Newcastle will have is when other clubs are potentially offering a lower wage due to the effects of coronavirus. Because again, we look, from what we're hearing, things are starting to improve. We do expect football to come back this year, but we just don't know how other clubs will be impacted. Now, if Newcastle can start offering the sort of money that Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea are offering players, then I think that will attract the... I don't think that'll stop them from attracting the big names. But, you know, there is the factor of, like, even if you look at Ronaldo, a part of the reason of wanting to leave Manchester was he really didn't like the weather there. Now, if you're talking about the elite footballers, they don't have a shortage of clubs they can go to. So maybe it is a consideration. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I definitely think it'll take a few years for them to get the real top elite players. Do I see them getting Mbappe? No, I don't. But they'll sure try. It'll take a few years, Tom. But like we said, I think whoever they sign first as the first marquee signing, that will be a statement of intent. Who that is... Well, do you think they're just on that first signing? Do you think a first signing in terms of if you're going in as a new owner of Newcastle, say you're the the man with the billions, are you going in there and are you trying to make that statement? So that's, okay, Mbappe is the name being thrown about, but I think that's just thrown about on Twitter just for a bit of fun. Mm. But are you going out and signing a player like that or are you going and getting Pochettino who who has shown he can build a club? So what's the more important sign at the moment for Newcastle? Is it a player or the manager? 
Uh, it would no and no doubt be the player. Uh, even if you look at Manchester City, I believe Mark Hughes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Mark Hughes was the manager at Man City when. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. And with all due respect to Mark Hughes, from where look, you see where Man City are now. He was never going to be the one to win them a title. For me, it's about getting a big name player in. Now, the reason you need to do that is because the reason for investing in Premier League clubs is because these guys see. I don't want to get too political here, but oil is not going to last forever. Well, if you believe current uh, the way the world is at the moment, maybe it will. But nonetheless, um, they want a big name signing because they want fans to want to get behind Newcastle. Fans don't support a club because of the manager. Fans aren't going to start turning in to watch Newcastle play because of Pochettino. You're going to start watching Newcastle play if you get an Mbappe. Maybe not an Mbappe. Maybe the next tier down. Maybe it's a Gareth Bale kind of signing. Someone with elite status in football. And if they can get that, that puts eyes on Newcastle. Now, unlike Manchester City, and again, I say this with all due respect, minimal tongue-in-cheek, but I think Newcastle are a more well-known club around the world than Manchester City was when they had the investment from, um, oh, 100%. from Abu Dhabi. So... It's an interesting one, and I'm I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Well, it's kind of weird. I, I I do not give two hoots about any other football club rather other than United, but there is a sense, and I don't want to say I'm excited about it, but there is a I don't know if it's intrigue, but it is kind of exciting. You sort of want that new challenger, and obviously there are enough challengers now. Like it used to be a case of just United or Arsenal challenging for the league. Now at the start of the season, there's six teams who could say. Because if we get off to a good start here, we could potentially be in with a shot of winning the league. So there's no shortage of sort of title challenges at the moment. As okay, as far as Liverpool have um, sort of romped away with the league, but at the start of every season, you can make a case for four or five teams potentially challenging. So you don't need that extra team. However, I just think there, when you cast your mind back to when City were taken over, City were that club who came out of nowhere and was suddenly one of the big boys. But when Newcastle they already are a big boy sort of thing in a lot of people's eyes. So they're sort of, I don't know, something iconic, like iconic about the stadium or the black and white kit. They just look like they, they should be up there near the top of the table. Sort of, maybe I'll cast my mind back to when I was a kid, sort of mid-90s when they were um, always challenging. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a tricky one, mate. I, I do agree with you, though. I think it is a welcome challenge. And can I start unleashing on what I think this impact will be to Manchester United? Because, yeah, please, yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? For all the criticism we give the Glazers, for what's been happening under Oli, I see progression. I see a club that wants to start changing things. Now, whether that's, again, with an undermines or a strategic sight on how that makes us look good, maybe they are still pulling the purse strings. But I think this is a statement to Manchester United and even to the Premier League. If you want to get away doing the bare minimum when there are clubs and owners who are ambitious enough to want everything, Newcastle aren't coming in to play in the top six. Those owners are going to want Champions Leagues. They're going to want Premier League titles. They're going to go for it. So if the Glazers think they can rest on their laurels the way things have been the last six or seven years, it will not happen. We will fall deeper and lower down the league table. Inevitable for me. So it could, in fact be a trigger to say, we need to pull our fingers out, we need to get a director of football in, we need to do things the right way. Because if we don't, our threat as our, our, well, threats are staying in that top bracket in terms of football clubs in England, that could be threatened. 
Yeah, well, we'll touch on the Glazers in terms of the comparison between Newcastle and that meeting now. Well, looks like meaning that the Saudis won't buy United and really, if the Saudis... It's not going to be the Saudis who are buying United, really. There's no one else. So there has been no names thrown about in terms of the value United look at maybe around four or five billion dollars or four or five billion pound. So um, there aren't too many people who can go and fork that out, especially at this time. So I'm just thinking, do you think regardless of what the Glazers' current sort of decision-making and around the football club are, do you think the coronavirus has sort of come at a good time for them? In, I wouldn't say in terms of the value of the club or anything. I'm not sure how this thing will sort of impact the financial sector, but in terms of them not selling the club, they've said, OK, the Saudis definitely can't go get us now. They've gone and spent $300 million on Newcastle. Now we're a bit safer. We can sort of take our foot off the pedal a little bit, or do you think they're now sitting and shit, now there's the extra competitor... We do need to step it up. Well, where I think the positive... Well, I don't want to call it a positive. That's the wrong word. Where I think this could benefit clubs like United uh, with the whole pandemic is because the smaller clubs or clubs who aren't at the top bracket of world football, they're going to need to sell players. They're going to need quick cash coming in. Now, what that means is Clubs like United, Liverpool, City, Chelsea, etc., will be able to exploit, and we've seen this in Sky Sports when Oli was misquoted, but what he meant to say was there is an opportunity for these big clubs to really get at the clubs just below us because if you, they're going to need cash, basically, and they're going to need to sell their top players. So what that means is you could, in fact, if United really want to step things up, which I actually expect them to, is they might get the top players that maybe was the target a year or two years down the track. They might actually try and get them in now because the market means that the players are probably going to go for cheaper than they normally would have due to the pandemic. So, in fact, I think United, Liverpool, etc., those top clubs will actually use this summer window to get top players in, not just because the other clubs are going to be desperate for cash flow. So I think it could be an opportunity for United. Now, whether they do it strategically correctly, we've seen over the last seven years, you just never know. Yeah, so just going back to that Solskjaer quote, I thought, thought he was sort of really hard done by because, and look, any Manchester United quote is going to sort of be taken out of context and made big news of, so that's what happens, regardless of whether it was Solskjaer, Mourinho, Van Gaal, doesn't matter. But um, I think it was a little bit loaded, the way Gary Neville, I think the interview was with Gary Neville, and the way the question was worded, Garen, um, sort of Solskjaer did come out and use the word exploit, which he definitely was yeah. criticised for, which I felt, no, look, okay, in terms of everyone's sort of PC, everyone wants to not offend anyone these days, but it was the definition. It's not a bad word in terms of the definition. It was just clubs will, we might find ourselves in a position where we need to sell, it might be a Paul Pogba, it might be a, um, let's say, David De Gea, we might be in a position where we need to sell a player. So I don't think it's, it's a sort of bad way to look at things. But um, I think because the coronavirus, if there's one club it won't affect too strongly or too too heavily, will be United. So United will be in a position to go into a club, let's say Aston Villa for Jack Grealish, and say, geez, okay, you did want 60 or 70 million for him, but geez, how much have you struggled over the last couple of months? You're willing to take 50, you're willing to take 45. And I don't think that should be sort of frowned upon. I think like that's still money that will be so valuable to a club like Aston Villa and other football clubs. So I don't think you, they can either take the forty-five million or they can take nothing. I'm sure they'll be glad to take the forty-five million. So um, yeah, when Solskjaer was sort of, I wouldn't say misquoted, but sort of the way 
that use of the word exploit was um, sort of interpreted, I thought was very unfair on Solskjaer. But um, just there, we'll touch in on, at the start of the podcast, we're looking at City and Chelsea in terms of they've obviously done this in the past. I'm just thinking we'll touch on Chelsea at the moment. Chelsea obviously were almost an overnight success. They were always in around fourth or fifth. Um, obviously got into the Champions League with that Jesper Gromko goal against Liverpool on the final day. Um, and then that, from all reports, sort of lent Roman Abramovich in, into Chelsea's direction rather than Tottenham's direction. But um, how do you think Chelsea, in terms of... Do you, do you think the Saudi Arabians can sort of take a path from either the City model or the Chelsea model in terms of... Or do you think the landscape has changed um, too much? Because when you look back, that was 2004, I think. So that was a while ago. Yeah, it's a hard one to say. Honestly, just because of this whole pandemic, we just don't know what the impacts will be. But they can definitely look to Manchester City um, and even Chelsea. But both clubs very well run. Um, (laughs) Granted, the ways Chelsea go about things are a little bit different. But I like the model that Manchester City has. I don't believe they call him a director of football, but nonetheless, the role's the same. They've got they got that position in from Barcelona. They in fact it's pretty much similar to the Barcelona model. Uh, they got in a top coach in uh, Robert Mancini uh, or manager I should say at the time. So it's definitely a model to follow, and it's one that bared fruits very quickly um, from the ownership in two thousand eight. When did they beat pip us to the title? Eleven, twelve. So with three to four years. And in fact, you'd argue Newcastle probably have a better foundation than Manchester City was in terms of when the ownership took place. Um, They've got a very solid fan base. They've got, um, it's it's in a well-known club. So if they do it correctly and if they follow that good, successful model that you've seen Manchester City do, then no doubt they could be successful. Even the Liverpool route is the in terms of ownership is quite different. But in terms of like when you're looking at who the owners are, you're gonna think they're gonna want a sole control. So I see them taking a more Manchester City style rather than say Abramovich. Well, just on the city thing, and we don't want to make this a political podcast at all. And I, again, I'm no expert in the relations between Saudi Arabia and Qatar and places like that. But do you think I would say like the political tension between the city owners and potentially with the Saudi owners, the Saudi, the new Saudi owners for Newcastle? Do you think that almost you could almost sort of translate to it to the sporting field and see a direct rival there in terms of trying to one up each other? Oh no doubt. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can only speak uh, myself with a Middle Eastern background. The the tensions in the middle are quite interesting. Um, and But in fact, they are competitive and they will want to one-up each other. I have no doubt about it. In fact, if you just look at uh, the way Qatar with PSG, uh, how, you know, had the way they want to win the Champions League, and then you look at Abu Dhabi with Manchester City um, aspiring to win the Champions League, that's not a coincidence. These guys are going for the top of world football. They want to dominate. Because Actually, I think that it, just where you mentioned there, PSG, in terms of Abu Dhabi v Qatar, Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think a player has moved from PSG to City or City to PSG. I think it's a simple refusal to do business with each other. Um, I could very well be wrong and someone could give you a a really big name, which I've forgotten about. But I think it has come down to that. There's just a simple, flat-out refusal. We will not deal with you um, because we're not going to give you you guys money, etc. So... um, 
I don't know if that'll translate into the Premier League, but um, it's interesting that there, if if that is in fact the case, I think there mm-hmm. is evidence of trying to one up each other and not let the other get sort of ahead in the race. No doubt about it. So that's the thing. It will be really interesting to see uh, how it all plays out. But yeah, I have no doubt about it. There is a rivalry between the the two clubs, soon to be three, and. Look, you can't, but again, you still can't discount uh, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. I think these three clubs as well have the financial capability, particularly United, to still be the best clubs or best club in football and world football. It's just a matter of getting things done correctly. United make record profits that these other clubs could dream of. These billionaire owners need to dip in to have their clubs compete at the level that they want to get to. All United or the Glazers have to do is just allow the club to spend the money it makes and then we'll be well above in terms of you know performing at the highest level of world football. Well, you just say that and that is sort of easy. Our last point of the podcast in regards to, well, okay, we are stuck with the Glazers now. Uh, like it or not, it doesn't look like there are any sale will happen in the near future. So you've just said there how United can succeed. Obviously, the Glazers need to sort of let the club spend, etc. But is there anything else in terms of that director of football issue now has started to maybe fade away a little bit? And remember, the good form under Solskjaer was very recent. It was only five, six weeks of good form. Just before that, it was, it was on the verge of the sack sort of thing. So um, mm. just in terms of how United can go forward under the Glazers, because we need to now, we can't sort of wait for a sale. Is there anything sort of drastic in terms of, okay, you know, let's go invest invest in the squad, invest in sort of better players, which sort of will in hopefully bring better results. But do you think there's anything else besides investment or in the introduction of a director of football that sort of is a huge step forward um, in terms of competing with the um, sort of the new big owners? Look, United do spend money. Right. I mean, I, I, of course, I understand the criticisms of a billion has come out of the club. And 100%, I agree. I think if you've put, if Ronaldo left and then you brought in, say, an Ibrahimovic at the time, if I can use a like for like, I think United could be a lot further on than where we are. Maybe we'd be singing 25 times as opposed to 20 times at the moment. But the money has been spent, particularly since post Fergie. So I don't think money spend is an issue. It just comes down to strategy. Now, this season albeit it's only been a six or seven month period, the recruitment looks like it's a lot more strategic. It looks like they're working towards something to implement a system that suits the manager. My issue is if it unravels under Oli, which of course I'm not hoping that it does, but if it does, is there someone there to still have a strategy in mind that, okay, the next manager can still implement the strategy that we want for this football club. The recruitment is still going to look like X, Y, and Z in three to five to eight years' time. That's my concern. While it works under Oli, we're fine. But if it blows up, my concern is United don't have the leadership, the structure, or the strategy to pick themselves back up again. We saw with Van Gaal to Mourinho such different philosophies. One with an emphasis on possession-based football and youth, one based on the more experienced player and more pragmatic. Back to Oli, who's more traditional in the sense of what Fergie was doing, back to British footballers. What's our strategy going forward? That's the issue. Now, whether that's a director of football or not, it doesn't have to be. This is just the statement we make because we know that this position does plan for all of these changes. But if United can find the nucleus within the club that right now, no problem. But 
only time will tell if our current structure will allow us to be successful going forward. I think you have pretty much summed up my thoughts to a T. Um, absolutely spot on because I think if Solskjaer gets it right, it is the perfect recipe. However, football shows that it doesn't often go right and United's track record over the past six, seven years has been quite patchy, which suggests it'll eventually go wrong. And then when it does go wrong, we're in a sort of very deep hole in terms of the current structures at the club. So agree 100% with what you just said there. But um, anything else on Saudis and Newcastle and petrol and anything else on that? <laughs> I mean, one final point is United simply now cannot afford for another dip-off. In, and when I say a dip-off, I'm just referring to the last point I've made is if it doesn't work under Ollie, they need to have a system where we recover quickly because we can't afford afford, afford another David Moyes-like season or a Mourinho's third season. Because if that happens now when you have another club trying to compete to get to the top of football, that's where you start to lose ground. So that's why I think it's really a crucial time for United in the sense of now that the Newcastle ownership looks like it's going to happen, you, we really need to step up. And let's not forget... Uh, Wolves have very wealthy owners, billionaires, and they're improving as well. We don't know whether their strategy is to sell off players or do they in fact have ambitions of starting to challenge at the top of European football and English football. So the Glazers need to get it right and the time is now and I'm telling you, we'll know, we'll definitely know within the next one to two years. It's a crucial time for the club. No, bang on. And talking about such that sort of these huge issues and sort of big issues that will influence, as say, the many clubs, the Premier League, Man United, Newcastle for years to come, um, we'll continue with another very serious topic and very serious issue: um, the new kits and the bus seat, the Sydney bus seat pattern on our new home kit for next season. Just get um, your initial thoughts and what time you're lining up at the shop to um, queue up to be first in best dressed. Well, I'm not sure if Sydney buses are currently operating, but if they are, I will if I can speak with whoever is the top brass at Sydney buses or Sydney Transport or New South Wales Transport, and I will ask, who did you know or who do you have photos of at Manchester United to create those jerseys. But i got to say, Tom, I've, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say I've done a 180, but the more I look at the kit, I think it's actually growing on me. <laughs> I think, look, no, it hasn't grown on me yet. I think one thing that could have been better is, and again, they aren't confirmed, but these leaks that come out at this time of year, 99% usually bang on the money, is the whatever pattern, the yellow sort of drips and drabs they have on the middle of the kit, why they've stopped, they should have just kept that on the sleeves. It's almost just the blank red sleeve just looks a bit, I don't know, patchy yeah. in my opinion. Um, yeah, I'd agree Again, one of my favourite, or not favourite Adidas kits, but in recent years, the Van Hal's second season, our first season of Adidas, the three stripes went all the way down the sleeves. I don't like the kit, this one, where the, the, the three stripes are just on the shoulder. Um, the yeah. same in Mourinho's second season, I think it was. Um, just sort of looks a bit half-assed and they haven't finished the job. So, um, look, the home kit isn't... Look, I don't like it at all. But sometimes they grow on you. I think when you're watching on TV, it'll just look like a red shirt. You won't see those little yellow bits. You'll only see those on the close-up. But um, sort of home kits can potentially grow on you, depending on how you um, on how the team performs. But um, the one that should be the worst kit is probably the one that's got the most um, um, sort of 
craze is that I don't know if you call it green. Is it green or baby green or whatever that? I wouldn't call it a vomit color, but it's um, it looks like it, sh- <laughs> it looks like it should be a bad color. But in terms of the way they wear it, in terms of the, I think it was like an orange sort of collar sort of thing. Mm. I don't think it's that bad. It, look, it's not good, but out of the three, it's probably my favorite. No, I quite like it. I, my only concern with that kit was the texture of it. Um, we've seen in the past. Um, like the navy blue kits when when they've been made out of like recycled materials. I don't know. Like this one looks like it's going to be a bit uncomfortable. It, just lo- it looks like the sort of jersey that's going to make your skin itch. Um, so I hope I'm wrong on that. But yeah, it looks like it would be like a, a good material, like a good quality. But yeah, just that not for playing football. It would be good to wear out sort of thing, not actually running up and down the wing. Well, so like you said, mate, at the end of the day, it will come down to success. Now, if we win a Premier League in, in these kits... No yeah. one's going to say a thing. Like, I'd love to see a Zebra United well, holding up the trophy. Well, let's get on to that Zebra one. Everyone, obviously, who's listening to this podcast has seen that kit. And as I said, these, the leaks that do come out now are the correct kits. There might be one or two little changes, um, but they're pretty much 99%. They are the kits. I refuse to believe that Chevrolet have signed off on that. Just for the simple reason, not that it's a bad kit. Well, we can get into if it's a good kit or a bad kit. Regardless of the opinion on the kit, you just you can't see the Chevrolet logo or the write-in. I can't see how Chevrolet would say, yes, we're happy with that. Well, at the end of the day, the marketing of Chevrolet is the logo. It's not the wording. So I, I, I think they'll find a way to make it work. Let's not forget when these photos are leaked, they're quite enhanced. Uh, you know, That's why it looks so bright. That's why I'm saying I don't think that home jersey is going to look as bad in yeah. person. Now, I'm not saying it's a great kit by any means, but... I think when you actually picture it on a per, like on players when they're playing, I don't think any of these kits will look as bad. But maybe I'm just being an optimist. Um, I, I don't like that kit in any which way. There is nothing that is saving. I think there's just too much going on. However, like, maybe it's a strategy from Adidas. Because I, I don't know about you, mate, but it looks like someone's going to cut a spell on me if I stare at that jersey for too long. So maybe it distracts the opposition and we score a few goals. Well, I don't know about you, but maybe it's a little bit of a, a tip-off. But I think I might go out and go and buy 10 or 20 of the Zebra kits when they first come out. For the sheer fact that in 20 or 30 years' time, people are going to be looking back at that as this real retro sort of classic kit. Everyone hates it at the time. But look how we look back at some of the 80s kits, the kits in the early 90s, um, that, that bluish one, which is a classic. Um yeah, I, I think it'd be a little smart investment to go out and get a few and then sell them for a thousand bucks each in ten years' time. Um, go for it, mate. I can't say I'm. I can't say I'm, I'm. I'm not buying into your investment plan. I'm sorry. Okay, well, you snooze, you lose. But um, there's a little bit of football to finish off. Jaden Sancho the news. Do you believe any of it? I thought it was a bit of a lazy article saying pretty much everything is agreed except the fee. Um, anything on Jaden Sancho? Oh, look, I'm not really following reports at the moment, just because I think there's nothing else for the journalists to really write about. It's a deal I do expect to happen, though, um, and it just comes down to can United negotiate a fee with Dortmund? So let's wait and see. But I, look, it's the signing we need for me. If you just put Sancho into the current lineup, or our strongest eleven, that 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 front three is. That looks potent. It looks deadly. It looks like it's got threats all over the park. The proposition of having a Pogba, Fernandez midfield on either side—that like that's a really formidable starting eleven, mate. Like the prospect of it, I feel like it could really. I'm not going to say win the title, but 
I finished top four would be my minimum expectation. Put it that way. Yeah, well, my only point on the Jaden Sancho one is sort of in regards to what I was saying about Jack Grealish, Nassen Villa. Okay, Brisbane Dortmund are a big club, massive club. But they're a club that sort of depends on selling their sort of their biggest assets. So United will be able to go in there and look, it might be stupid money. It might still be $100 million, but instead of $120 million. But I think we will be able to go into a position, assuming we're in the Champions League. So I think it's a big, a big if. But say we are in the Champions League, we can go in and bully Dortmund, I think, because I don't know if they'll be able to tie him up to a new contract. I don't know what his contract situation is. But I'm hoping if he is Solskjaer's number one target, and I'm positive he'll be Woodward's number one target, um, I think United are in a position now during this coronavirus, the longer it goes, um, to really go in and bully Borussia Dortmund. And again, hopefully it's not $100 million, Hopefully it's a little bit less. But again, uh, when we're going to be competing with Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi and Qatar and the like, we're going to have to dip into the pot. Well, not you and me, obviously. Um, we're filling our fridge with cheese and biscuits, was it? What, what, what did you say? I had yeah, in my fridge? yeah, you have cheese and biscuits in the cheese fridge. Cheese and biscuits, right. okay. I will go have a snack. Um, it's good to chat to you. It feels like a while since I've chatted to you. It wasn't that long ago, was it? What was the last podcast? About a week ago. Yeah. So, um, again, <laughs> um, if anyone else wants to come on the podcast and have a chat about anything, because, there, again, there is no real football to discuss, so any plays you want to go back and look at the career or any stories or memories or favourite seasons or favourite games, please get in touch and um, we'll easily get you on. Now, hopefully, again, remember episode 76 and the 76th attempt at recording. Hopefully the audio came through nice and crisp for you. Um, we're always doing our best to um, get the audio as fine as possible. Obviously, it's a little bit different than meeting up at the pub, which um, is a lot easier for us, but we are very well-behaved, aren't we, Larry, and abiding by the government guidelines by self-isolation. I'm quite proud of you, to be honest. Oh, thanks, mate. Um, look, it's been a challenge, and let's just hope that well, things are looking positive in Australia, so let's just hope that some restrictions can get lifted and I can see you back at the pub again soon. Uh, beautiful. And to all our listeners, hopefully everyone is staying healthy, whether you're in Australia, England, Africa, America, Asia, wherever you are, hopefully you are keeping safe and healthy. And we will chat to you again later this week, hopefully with a bit of football news. All right, cheers. See ya. Cheers. Cheers.